Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 19th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me at today's podcast, Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. It, it seems like news has kind of slowed down this week. Uh, we have a couple things to talk about, and then I thought I would uh, uh, we talk about TV storytelling devices that annoy us. I've been watching some TV recently, and it's uh, you know I want to rant about this, Ben, and uh, <laughs> I've, I've nobody here to rant about this, so I got to rant about this into the the podcasting void. So okay, let, let's start with the news. Let's start with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, there was this award ceremony, and Kevin Feige was was there uh, was I guess uh, giving. He was one of the people that appeared on screen to say some nice things about Scarlett Johansson before she received the award. And during this, he let it slip that he is working with Scarlett Johansson on another Marvel Studios project. This is what he said. I'll give you the quote. We are already working with Scarlett on another not Black Widow related top secret Marvel Studios project with her as producer. Unquote. Uh, You can read the whole quote. In, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. But uh, this is kind of surprising because, n- number one, uh, you know, if we rewound time a couple months, uh, Scarlett Johansson was suing Disney and was <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of on the outs. Uh, it, it seems like things have changed. Um, you know, uh, she said that there's been some positive uh, uh, advances because of that lawsuit and everything that happened. Um, obviously, like contracts around Hollywood are changing to address uh, what would happen in the situation of a of a, taking a theatrical film and putting it on demand. And um, but I, I guess my big question is, wh- what could this project be? And I have a couple thoughts here. My first thought was maybe it's a project about Yelena, uh, the character that was introduced in the Black Widow movie, uh, the character played by Florence Pugh. And um, what? Uh, but the thing is that that's Black Widow related, right? 
I yes. Um, I wonder if he in that comment just meant like not Natasha Romanoff related. Um, mm. And, you know, he was like in front of a bunch of industry people at this awards ceremony. So he wasn't going to get down into the nitty gritty with, with the specifications on stage like that. Like, all right, guys, let me pause to say real quick, it's Black Widow related, but it's not Natasha, <laughs> but it is Yelena, <laughs> you know, like uh, maybe he was just trying to, uh, to breeze through and move on with his speech. So it's, I guess, poss- technically possible that Florence Pugh could be, uh, involved in whatever this project is? I don't know. Yeah, uh, you know, I was putting this around to a couple of friends, seeing if anybody had any ideas or any interesting theories, because I, you know, I like to theorize about this kind of stuff. And one of them sent me this posting on marvel.com. And the posting is a Marvel Studios casting call. They're looking for the super women of the MCU. And this is a an original unscripted documentary series for Disney+. Plus that's going to showcase the strong and inspiring women who bring the Marvel Cinematic Universe to life, both behind and uh, in front of the camera. Uh, if you know someone that is like that has a superpower, fan, woman, strong woman, like, there's all these uh, keywords here and stuff like that, you can apply. Uh, one of my friends was like, maybe it could be that because, you know, uh, Black Widow was the, f- the first big superhero in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it would be good to have her on as producer of this unscripted documentary series. Uh, but then um, uh, so, someone brought up when I was talking about this, uh, I think it was Ryan Scott's was like, it's not necessarily a top secret if it's a casting call on the Marvel website. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so and would he be hyping up a, a docu, a Disney plus docu series? Yeah. It feels a little too small potatoes for something for that. Uh, Scarlett Johansson would be involved with, I think. Yeah, in our Slack channel, I was discussing this, and uh, Ryan, who writes for the site, uh, brought up the the Marvel Cinematic Universe woman team-up that we've talked about in the past. If you remember around the time of, was it Endgame or Infinity War? I think I it was Endgame. it was Endgame. around Infinity War, wasn't it? It, was, it seems like a, a few years old at this point. Yeah, it, it, around then, I remember a bunch of uh, the women actors approached Kevin Feige at the premiere and were like, we need to make this uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe woman Avengers type movie. And uh, he since since then has said like that's been in the works. And I remember at that time that Scarlett Johansson was like one of the prime motivators of that, that moment that, uh, that happened. So, but you know, obviously black widow is, (laughs) is out of the story, right? She's out of the picture. So wouldn't it be great to have her on as producer of that movie? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a really cool way, um, you know, since she's sort of transitioned out of uh, being in front of the camera for her to still be involved with Marvel. And um, I think Feige said that the Black Widow movie was the first time, marked the first time that one of the uh, MCU actors had worked as a producer in that capacity. And that it was not like a, you know, sometimes when, people get a producer title it's basically just like a vanity title you know like a vanity credit where it's just like oh sure we'll throw you a bone and say that you're a producer on this but you didn't actually do very much work on this and Faye in that speech was basically saying like no Scarlett Johansson actually did the work on this thing to help really develop this project and all of that so it sounds like that's something that she's interested in as a uh, you know as a creative person at this stage in her career is like the act of producing and and um, the opportunity to stay within Marvel to do that for and and sort of uh, keep her legacy 
tied to this super successful ongoing franchise seems like a smart play to me. Yeah. And my, my last thought was maybe that Tower of Terror movie that she was producing for Disney, although that's not top secret and that's not Marvel related, uh, but I know Kevin Feige is a huge uh, Disney Parks fan. So maybe he would be involved in that, but pr- probably not. So that's unlikely. I, I think the most likely out of the scenarios that we have here are the Yelena spinoff or maybe this uh, woman Avengers team up kind of film. If, if it's not either of those, then I think there's like, it's like trying to, there's so many characters and stories in the Marvel, Marvel comics universe. It's like almost impossible to like even guess because we, <laughs> yeah, we don't have to narrow it down into like a, a corner of the type of storytelling that it could be, you know, like there's so <laughs> yeah, the, the playbook is so wide yeah. open at that point. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's move on to our second story of today, and that is Warner Media wanting to launch their own Nielsen rating system. Tell us about that, Ben. Yeah, so Warner Media has basically said, like, look, Nielsen has been the uh, the industry standard in terms of how we measure uh, measure viewership and things like that for essentially as long as television has been uh, has been around. You know, it's been the the standard company that that sort of has pioneered the art of measuring uh, viewership and Warner Media. By the way, have you saying, ever, have you ever participated in a Nielsen survey? No, I haven't. Have you? I have for, uh, in the mail when I was a kid, every once in a while I would get this like envelope in the mail and it would have a, uh, like a little booklet that you would, uh, in a pencil come with a, like a, almost like one of those golf pencils and you would have to fill in the little dots and write in things of like what channels you listen to at what time of the day of um, – this is for the radio. So it wasn't uh, for TV. And uh, it would come with like a $10 bill, like actually in the envelope. So it was like uh, you can do it or not do it, but we're giving you this $10 bill. And you know, could you just like fill out this thing of like what you've listened to on the radio that week? Um very Peter, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize that you were born in 1945. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I know I know uh, elsewhere they had like there was these things that would connect to your cable box or whatever and would uh, somehow uh, – how, how did this work before the internet? I don't know how this worked before the internet because I'm guessing in the day of the internet it would like upload just like what channels were being watched at what times and stuff like that. Um, and then later on when streaming came around, like they just have these things that would like listen in and it would know from like the audio what was being played, mm-hmm. which uh, seems kind of evasive and whatever. Anyways, I'm just saying that this is a uh, um, – I'm setting the stage here, Ben. Of, yeah, yeah, for This sure. is a very unscientific uh, method because also they're for, – for every person, like for, for me filling out that radio survey, I probably represented like a million listeners, right? <laughs> So, right. so me saying I, I was listening to uh, whatever channel I was listening to as a you know twelve year old boy uh, probably greatly affected the, the radio ratings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly a flawed system unless they were are able to um, you know accurately measure what every single person in, on every single TV is watching. There's there's going to be some flaws in the system, right? And Warner Media they're they're taking the stance that. Nielsen is too flawed at this point. They're saying that Nielsen basically has not um, been keeping up uh, accurately enough with the changing times uh, in the, the rise of streaming and all of that over the past, whatever, call it 15 years. Um, so WarnerMedia is looking to create its own ratings system starting next year. 
And uh, the quote here is, we're doing this because we believe that there's got to be a better alternative in measurement solutions. And we have a responsibility to our investments, to our clients and partners, and to counting the value of our audience full stop. So uh, I don't know if there are any specifics released about how exactly their new uh, measurement system is going to be different from the way that Nielsen does it. Um, because like I said, there, there's, there is no perfect way to do this. So uh, whatever their system is, is also going to be flawed. It's just going to be flawed in a, presumably in a, in a different way. Um, whether or not that is more valuable to journalists and people who pay attention to these Nielsen numbers, mostly advertisers, that's primarily what it's used for, is so advertisers know okay, this is where we should most effectively spend our advertising budgets because X number of people are watching this thing on this network or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I get a little, uh, a little wary, Peter, every time like a, uh, you know, th there's been a lot of talk about Netflix and the way that they have um, shared or not shared their numbers. And recently they they launched this top 10 on Netflix website where it, it's supposed to be a little bit more transparent and how they're sharing their numbers. There's a whole series of problems with that that we don't really need to get into right now. But um, I will say, though, that them launching that website, at least they used to like just put out into the ether like this is the most watched thing and most watched movie on the platform. And it had, you know. 1 billion hours watched or, you know, whatever that number is. And we were like, oh, that number sounds impressive. But like, what does that number even mean? And we still don't know what that number means, but at least you can compare it to the other stuff on the platform now that week. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now they're, they're Netflix is doing it by um, hours watched. Like, yeah. so, so viewership hours. Um, but as, as a reporter from the Washington <laughs> Post wrote on Twitter once, I thought this was a really great distillation of the problem with that, that this person said, did a million people check out the first episode? So if, if there was, uh, you know, for Squid Game, for example, if they racked up a million hours of viewing in its first week, this person was like, did a million people watch the first episode and then stop? Did 100,000 people watch all 10 hours or maybe 30 million people only watch two minutes? Who knows? Like there's no contextual information for, you know, exactly what the breakdown is. And that sort of makes all of that data, uh, you know, it, it, it's just like, <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that really? I mean, it, it, in theory, it does make sense and it does help. But if you actually look at it from a practical standpoint, seems like there's so many uh, questions that are posed that it, it doesn't really help um, <laughs> in, in the way that I think media reporters would hope that it would. So anyway, Warner Media is doing their own thing. And, and you know, we were talking a little bit about this right before we started recording. Like anytime a major media conglomerate uh, decides to like control the narrative, um, you know, from from the inside out, like there's no third party here. It's just going to be Warner Media running its own numbers and then sending those numbers out and then whatever, making money on advertising and, and selling viewer data and all that kind of stuff. It's like, and they would have ah. no incentive to say that their program and movies and TV shows are watched more than other companies, programs and TV shows. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, there's probably legal reasons why they yeah. can't necessarily do that because they have to answer to like, whatever the, you know, uh, oversight boards and, and the, Federal Communications Commission or whatever it is, you know, there, there's probably some sort of theoretical stopgap in place to prevent something like that from happening. But whether or not people can and companies like that can still manipulate the data, um, <laughs> I, I, 
I feel like they probably can. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it's just, um, it's a different way of this measurement system continuing to be, um, not ideal. Yeah. I mean, devil's advocate, I should say that Warner, Warner media owns Rotten Tomatoes and so far they have not, um, you know, uh, adopted more people onto the tomato meter so that the, the latest Zack Snyder, you know, justice league cut movie has a better rate. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Yeah. They haven't goosed the numbers in favor of <laughs> Warner brothers projects or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's that, but it's interesting because like the, there are numbers now, like back in the old day, you know, back in my day, Ben, <laughs> you know, pe- pe- people were watching, I mean, there were people when I was like a little kid watching stuff on antenna, like not like direct TV, like, like actually like antennas. Yeah. I'm actually old enough where I, I have memories of people watching stuff that way too. I think I probably watched some stuff like that during my childhood. So I was just messing with you earlier. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you're not that much older than me. Yeah. But e- even cable boxes, I'm not even sure if the cable companies had like the numbers of like who was watching what and stuff like that i'm not sure how much of that was like a two-way communication uh, of sorts or if like the box was on or the tv was on do you know what i mean like there's so many mm-hmm. like factors there but now we actually have technology where like you know netflix knows how many people are watching each of the shows and movies and apple knows apple doesn't want to give out the information because they're they're doing the whole privacy thing like you know we're not giving out your data we're not like using the data to say anything and netflix doing it their 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 own other way to like you know they don't want to give the data because they they think the data is what's valuable so they don't want uh people to know that data yeah that makes sense i mean the the thing is though like the streamers know how many accounts are watching something they actually don't know how many people are watching something right because like you know we could be watching something with our significant others or whatever or we could have a whole party and like 20 people could be gathered around one tv watching something they really have no way of knowing that as far as i know um yet without getting into that super invasive stuff that you're talking about earlier. So hopefully we're not heading into a, you know, a dystopia where like the TV looks back at you and, and like tracks your eye movement or whatever. I don't know what sort of uh, nefarious things they may or may not be developing behind the scenes to sort of get a better, more accurate uh, view of like who exactly, how many people are watching something. But yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's all they can work with right now. And I remember with Netflix, it was either you or Brad that that brought up the the fact of like you know kids' TV shows and movies are rewatched over and over and over again. Does it does Netflix count all those hours towards that one thing, or does only does it only count for the first play of right. the thing? Yeah, right? I don't know. I mean, yeah, you know, you would think that they would want the number to be as high as possible because that's more impressive to investors, and that's sort of what it's all about for Netflix, right? But, um, but yeah, like for parents who just turn on Cocoa Melon or whatever, and just like <laughs> repeat the season over and over and over again, uh, if Cocoa Melon or those types of shows are not consistently in the top 10, I feel like we have to wonder about what sort of decisions they're making to, to, uh, to tweak the numbers to, to not include stuff like that. So I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, good point. Okay, uh, those are the two news stories we had for today. Uh, we didn't have anything in the mailbag. If you want to send us a question in the mailbag to be asked on a future episode, we, we I can't guarantee that we're going to answer your question, but to be considered, send it to peter at com, and please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention it on the air. Uh, but the, what I want to talk about today is I haven't been watching much, but there's been a couple things that I've been watching uh, that are kind of like – 
something I wanted to rant off. There's like these TV. I don't even know how to classify these. These aren't like cliches or uh, screenwriting tropes, maybe. I don't know. TV storytelling devices that annoy us. What would you call this, Ben? Like, what, how do you even classify what I'm trying to, <laughs> to talk about today? I guess, I think you're right. Storytelling devices. It's it's a, a method of telling the story that that uh, every time it happens, it just seems to piss you off. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. First one is flashbacks that intercut during an episode of TV that basically are just there to echo the current day story. So you're like seeing that character as a kid being bullied and you're finding out why that character, you know, maybe you're just making action, the actions that he's making during the current day storyline at the same time. Um, I'm wondering how you feel with this because I honestly was kind of even annoyed by the flashbacks sometimes with uh, the TV show Lost. Really? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they were very worthwhile, especially in later seasons. Sometimes it felt like it was, I just want to get to the main story. Like that backstory doesn't even matter anymore because, you know, now they're on this island and this crazy shit's happening. And I, I want to find out what's going on here, Ben. I mean, I get that. Uh, I I love the. I mean, I think Lost is like the perfect example of why I love that type of uh, yeah. trope because you just learn so much more about the characters and um, it's. I mean, on a practical level, it's just a way for storytellers to not run out of uh, runway too early, right? It, <laughs> it helps them sort of string things along, and that has a negative connotation to it. But I think when done properly, and and those connections in flashbacks. Uh, intercutting with current stuff can actually enliven and sort of um, enrich the the uh, propulsive narrative that you really care about. I think that's when you sort of hit the sweet spot. And and Lost, I think, did that for the most part. Um, so when, when they did it and it subverted my expectations, like the John Locke episode in season oh, yeah. one, like that is when it was great. But it, it did late in later seasons feel like they were kind of biting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's true. Uh, What is a TV storytelling device that annoys you? Um, Well, speaking of Lost, I I just went through a whole um, rewatch of Lost, like whatever, not super long ago. And I was listening to um, The Storm, the Lost rewatch podcast. And Dave Gonzalez, one of the hosts of that show, has this pet peeve where he is really, really um, fed up with characters withholding information from each other on purpose. Uh, And, you know, so the audience knows what's going on and certain characters know what's going on, but they just won't tell other characters. And it's, uh, you know, sometimes that can be done. In service of the plot, but not in service of the... Yeah. Sometimes that can be done in a way where like, of course, it makes sense that this person wouldn't want to just spew out all the information that they know about a given topic. Uh, you know, you don't want exposition dumps all the time. Um, you don't want, you know, sometimes characters are are withholding information for uh, to, to have a, um, you know, a leg up against another character in a battle of wits or whatever the, the situation may be. There are plenty of scenarios where it makes sense for characters not to tell everyone everything but when it's done in a way that uh that the plotting can only work if this person uh withholds information for no good reason and and that seems to happen 
you know, fairly frequently on in shows and movies, uh, that's when it really becomes egregious, I think, in, in my eyes and in, uh, in Dave Gonzalez's eyes as well. So um, I think he, he sort of uh, elucidated that, um, that uh, <laughs> particular uh, grievance in a, in a way that I've latched on to. So I, I credit can him you, for that one. Can you give a good example of this without it being like a, kind of a huge spoiler for? Oh, man. Uh, I'm trying to think of a concrete example. Um, no, I don't have any off the top of my head, Peter. But I, I think okay. it's one of those things that you know it when you see it. Um, yeah. And and like a lot of times, I don't know, a lot of times I will watch something and just be like, that doesn't make, like I'll speak out loud to my television. Like it doesn't make any sense. Why aren't you just, just say what you're doing. Just say it. You don't have to be mysterious in this instance, what is going on. So yeah. um, Lost actually had a lot of that in its uh, early seasons when they were trying to um, figure out what the show was going to be. Um, and uh, yeah, th- I'm not trying to remember like a specific well, the, the, the whole fight Lost. of Batman versus Superman could have been solved if they had just talked to each other. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. I think that's a good sort of more modern example. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a lot of these are coming out of, I, I just recently watched the first two ex- episodes of Dexter, the new Dexter uh what is it called? Dexter New Blood? Dexter, New Blood, I think. Yeah. Something like that. It's fine. It's, you know, it, it's better than the last season of Dexter so far. So, I mean, that's the best I can say. Um, I'm, I'm still watching it. But, um, and I watched You on Netflix. I watched the third season of You. So, if you're not already watching this and there's no reason uh, to go deep into it, but uh, the last season kind of jumped a shark in major ways. But uh, one thing that both these shows do, well, they do those flashbacks, intercutting, uh, echoing current day stories. Both of them do that. And then both of them also have a lead character. I mean, both of them have lead characters that are serial killers and they will at times be by themselves because serial killers are, you know, primarily by themselves. And in order, and actually, both of these shows, both of these shows have so much in common, Ben. Both of these shows have voiceover. So you hear what the character is thinking. But if that's not enough, you need to see it. So they, the screenwriters, uh, showrunners create imaginary characters for them to chat with. And by imaginary characters, I, I usually mean people that have died from their past for them to have conversations with. Because mm-hmm. I guess that's more visual than just a... Uh, hearing what they're talking about in their head yeah but i don't know it annoys me like i, I don't know like I, I don't really need to have another conversation with dexter and his dad i don't need to in, in the new series it's him and his sister uh does this all annoy you um not as much as it bothers you uh <laughs> but there i was trying to think of an example of a show or a, a movie or something that did this really well and the first thing that came to my mind is probably, I don't I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there was a show called Reigns that was R-A-I-N-E-S that was on in 2007. It ran for seven episodes and then was canceled. I think it was on NBC and it starred Jeff Goldblum. And it was this uh, police procedural like network cop show basically where he was a detective who um, hallucinates the victims whose murders he's trying to solve. So the the victims uh, appear to him as hallucinations and like explain, you know, hey, I was over here doing this kind of thing. Like this is how I died. <laughs> and he, as he like sort of tries to piece together the, the way that these people were killed. Um, so that's an example where I feel like it's uh, 
it's like essential to the plot that that happens because that's the that's the premise of the show it's it's cooked in baked into the premise right there you know you you have no show yeah. if that uh, doesn't happen um so i was trying to think of something where it, but I it think actually the difference works pretty there, well but. the difference there is that show I, I haven't seen that show but just from your description it's furthering the plot and it's it's um pushing propelling it forward you know he's learning things from these encounters Whereas I feel like when it happens in Dexter or you, it is always kind of like just like a, it, it slows it down. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like it, is it's it like, just telling you things that you already know? It's telling you things that you already know. It's an obstacle for to convince him to not go kill the someone. And then he like ends up doing, do you know what I mean? Like, it's always like, just like, come on, we, we, you, we want to get on with the show. We want the Dexter yeah. show. We don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I I I was trying to think of like a good example, and I couldn't think of anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, your example is is great. I I do understand that there's reasons to do it. Like when you have someone alone on screen for a long period of time, like you have Tom Hanks in Castaway. He started talking to the volleyball Wilson, and but Wilson's not talking back. Right. I mean, he is <laughs> theoretically. Like Tom Hanks is actually answering questions that Wilson is asking in his head we don't hear him mm-hmm. um i i i, I enjoy insight into his yeah. headspace and his character yeah i think if we already have insight into their headspace with them doing voiceover we're hearing what they're thinking yeah. then we don't need to see someone imaginary appear and try to convince them not to kill someone <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can get on board with that okay uh, what, what is your other uh annoying storytelling device yeah, this one is is a little bit vague, but it's like when characters don't specify things in conversations. So I'm, I'm uh, watching The Sopranos for the first time, and this happened on an episode that my wife and I watched last night. So like uh, a guy comes into uh, his girlfriend's room and he's like her dorm room and he's like, oh, didn't I tell you that like I'm going to pick up my friend from the airport and we're going to like go hang out for a while? And she's like, no, you didn't tell me. And he's like, yeah, sorry. Like I, I thought I told you all right, see you later. And then like, she, <laughs> sh- that's it. And, and she doesn't, you know, it's not like she's um, shocked at the fact that he left the room. Like she's totally fine. Like the conversation has come to an end, but like in my mind, I would be like, okay, you know, uh, that's fine. How long are you going to be gone? When am I going to see you again? Like what, you know, there's all these follow-up questions that nobody ever asks in, in movie or TV show conversations that I just feel like, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a, a strategy behind not answering that stuff because you need the element of surprise for characters showing up later on or whatever. But it's one of those things, especially in in a show that um, is often as is often pretty naturalistic. It's not like The Sopranos is super super heightened or takes place in like a completely other you know a world that's alien to the one that we live in. Um, it just strikes me as strange when characters don't do that. I'm like, everything else about this show seems pretty grounded for the most part. And then these characters don't, uh, sometimes don't talk like real people would talk. It's just a little nitpick thing that bothers me. So wondering if anybody else out there is also <laughs> bothered by this, but uh, maybe it's just me. I mean, it does happen a lot in like movies where like, you don't want to bog down the, uh, like the, you're sitting in the theater watching this thing and like this guy runs up to this uh, girl who's working at her work and was like, finally, you know, asked her out on a date and she says yes. And then he runs away and like, you're like, dude, why didn't you fight? Like, why didn't you make the plans? Like when yeah, you're going to, exactly. like, you don't want to do like that. I can understand because, or, or just like, I'll call you later or something. Right. It doesn't have okay. to be the the full thing, but just like, <laughs> 
in that instance, she would be like, yes. And he'd be like, cool. And then like, he would just leave. (laughs) There's, you can, you can uh, bridge that gap a little bit better for the viewer, I think. But anyway. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting here, Ben, because yours both have to do with communication. Like it's about (laughs) characters, problems with communication. And all of mine have to do with, um, if you're going to have to like find a through line here, it has to do with like, Things that come into the plot that we kind of know what's going on and they're just delaying the plot from happening. Like th- th- mm, that's yeah. what annoys me. I think it's like the – it's a stumbling block that we, we we understand why it's there. Let's, get, let's fast forward. We don't, we don't need that stumbling block there. And the third thing I wanted to mention is just like that and that's characters who come back into our lead characters' lives who have a drug or alcohol addiction. It's usually like a brother, a mother, a daughter, you know, a a sister that comes back into the life. Uh, like they have nowhere to live. They're going to like sleep on the couch. And then, you know, you, you just know what's going to happen here. You know how this is going to derail, you know, the, the lead characters, uh, whatever they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it always ends the same way. Like, and it always like, I don't know, it's just like frustrating. It's so like this happened on... um. I think most recently I saw Ozark, the last season of Ozark. I think you gave up on that one. Um, I did, yes. Uh, but it happens a lot. It, it seems like it be one of those tropes. This this is definitely a cliche, I think. And it definitely happens like on later seasons of TV shows. I think it's like one of those things like, oh, we need some kind of complication here. Oh, let's bring in the brother with the addiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is definitely a thing. Uh, this happens a lot, as you're saying. And I, I think, um, you know, there there's a... I think it gets back to that fundamental difference that you were just trying to to lay out there, Peter, where like uh, the main story or the plot tends to be what you care about the most. And this, these things uh, prove to be obstacles. These characters prove to be obstacles to getting you to the end point where you can learn the answer or, you know, complete the arc or whatever the, the case may be. But I think there can be value in characters like that showing up because you can learn more about the the main characters through the interactions that they have with these people who are holding them back you you by by putting something in their path you learn about them uh you know by watching what they do to get around that obstacle and and the methods that they use to get around that obstacle um can sometimes be really illuminating and sometimes especially if it's a family member you can have like shared information about the character's backstory with the the uh you know addict character or whatever this, yeah. this person is that you're talking about who's coming back into the story so you can learn more about the the history of that that character and that like informs the choices that they make going forward and all of it sort of in in a perfect world can can um yeah like illuminate and, and make more sense of why they behave the way that they do and you typically know, okay, this character is only going to show up for a season and completely hold things up or whatever. And you just have to, I, I don't know, when I see that coming, I, there is a part of me that's like, oh, man, I guess the, the goalpost has been moved, you know, a little bit further away than I would like uh, from a plot perspective. But at least now I get to settle in and hopefully like mine these interactions for uh, clues and uh, revelations that will help me appreciate these characters more moving forward. So um I think there's there can be a benefit to it, but yeah, uh, if you're just looking at it from a plot perspective, I can totally get how that would be frustrating. It's funny when we were preparing this podcast, I was like, Ben, we only have two news stories today. This is gonna be a short episode. 
we, we've hit 34 minutes back. So, <laughs> so, so there, there we go. We're, we're, we're still able to put out, put on the show with two, two small news, <laughs> news items. Uh, if you want to find more of all of our work, you can go to slash film.com. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, it's on Apple podcasts, Google overcast, Spotify, uh, please head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you on Monday.